0: And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. You know, I love Jesus when he gives fishing advice. As not being a professional fisherman, he gives it to professional fishermen. And it says in Luke that when they listened to him and did what he told them to, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full, they began to sink. That is an exciting story out of Luke chapter 5, and we're going to talk about that today with my guest, Beverly Canaris. She is a former Bible study fellowship teacher for over 30 years and uh, a regular guest on the show. Bev, welcome.
1: Thanks, Bill. Great to be here.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about that amazing catch. Yeah. uh,
1: Let me, first of all, tell you about my 10-year-old grandson. Okay. Um, He wants to be a professional fisherman. He's 10 years old currently, and since he was a toddler, he would go out early in the morning and uh, sit on the dock in his pajama pants and a life jacket, and he would just sit down and fish for hours, catching very little. It it was the exception if he caught anything. He didn't care about food. He didn't care about the other cousins joining him or not. Anything he caught had to be photographed, and then he would post it in his bunk uh, at home. He has the idea, even, of teaching younger kids in the neighborhood how to fish at their local little pond. Of course, for money. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> not cute? And for his birthday, what do you think I buy him? Fishing gear. Fishing gear. Yeah. Lures. He's in heaven. Or, yeah. or just a gift card to Bass Pro. He is all about that. So that's our Polly. Well, this miracle of Jesus and the great catch of fish uh, would be, really, would just make Pauly's day if he was involved <laughs> in this. So... Yeah. Well, let's start with, um, first of all, the impossible command. I think that it's interesting that Jesus would give them a command, like you said, a fisherman commanding,
0: A non-fisherman.
1: A non-fisherman. Telling
0: professional fishermen
1: what to do. Easy for you to say. Yeah. The passage is from Luke 5. Jesus is in the Galilee area and is by the Sea of Galilee. People are gathered around him and he's teaching them the word of God from verse 1. The people were probably having trouble hearing him with such a crowd. You can imagine there was no public speaking and uh, microphones during that day. So Jesus, he saw two boats at the water's edge and he, he uses the one boat owned by Peter to go out a little way to teach from there. Now we know that sound really carries well over water. Isn't that amazing? Of mm-hmm. course, him being the creator would know how that dynamic was going to work. When Jesus finishes his teaching, he addresses the owner of the boat, Peter, and he says to Peter, Put out to the deep and let down your nets for a catch. That was not the first time. Now Peter has encountered Jesus. And we'll notice that the call for Peter to be his disciple was a gradual one over a year. Sometimes you read this story, and if it's out of context of the rest of them, you think that just he met him that day, immediately left everything and followed him. But no, there's really about a year's time in here where Jesus has encountered him several times. Uh, Peter was learning more and more about who Jesus was. And this particular encounter is really going to be the linchpin for Peter being all in to follow Jesus. Peter responds to what Jesus has just commanded him to do. Now, with Jesus being the carpenter and Peter was the professional fisherman, and it was Jesus giving the command. In verse 5 Simon answered him, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, they had just finished washing their nets. It's kind of like when you get the kitchen clean, you don't want anybody in there messing it up anymore. I mean, that was their work. They had worked all night, nothing. Now they cleaned their nets. They would be ready to go for the next night. Now he's asking them to go back out where they caught nothing and to dirty up their nets again. Think about that. Peter was really saying, this isn't going to work. This is impossible in his experience to catch fish in Jesus's prescribed ways. Haven't we all been here? We think we know best that our way is the only way, that what God commands us seems so out of step with our own experience. But the Lord will often ask us to trust his word when the situation looks impossible in our eyes. So the bottom line is, who do we trust? The all-wise God or the minute information we have from our very limited eyes and knowledge. Mm -hmm. Who are we going to
0: trust? Yeah, Bev, when you read this, um, do you see some of the counterintuitive thinking that the fishermen have to deal with? They've been out all night cleaning the nets. When you're tired, after a full night of n- no luck catching fish, you're being asked to put them back in the water. It's yeah. just so counterintuitive. You it, obviously it clearly don't know how to fish.
1: No, no. Yeah. And and I mean, it was just uh, sheer obedience with no expectas- yeah. expectation. Peter was really asked by the Lord to trust him. Peter was asked to respond in faith, and this was going to be his life uh, ahead for Peter. It was it, He was in school right here. The book of Hebrews tells us that it is faith that pleases God. Peter needed to learn to trust in Christ, to obey his word, even above what he thought he knew. That's hard. Mm-hmm. That's hard when it goes against that natural intuition that we have. So, listeners, what is your impossible situation today? Where have all your efforts landed you with an empty net? Will you seek the Lord's mind about your situation? And, of course, we do that as we read the Bible, pray, wait, get godly advice. I love what Peter said, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Peter was going to learn about who Jesus is and what he can do and how to apply that in what he's going to be learning to do through this experience and that was how to fish for men
0: mm.
1: now we're gonna go on to what happened what are the impossible results here obviously Peter had very low expectations of any fish right
0: well why sometimes
1: we go into that too don't we yeah. well yeah I'll do it but uh, uh, who's gonna pay any attention or this is you know we're, we're making excuses for failure to me it sounded like Peter was just going through the motions or placating Jesus Verse 6, when they had done so, when they were obedient, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full, they began to sink. Now, this really reminds me of when we pray and ask God for something. Then when he answers, what? I'm so surprised. God answered. We're so Mm -hmm. amazed that God answers. In fact, Scripture tells us that in Matthew 7, Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Also in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power at work in us. Wow, Peter could have written that after this this experience here. Peter and James and John were learning as they were going to be trained in evangelism. In other words, this was part of their training to realize how they were going to help other people know who Christ is and come to faith in Him. And it must be founded on God's Word. It was God's Word that sent them out there, put them in that place at that time, didn't make sense to them, but that's where the catch was. They are to follow His instructions in order to know where the fish are, and the results come from him. You know, we can take no credit except for obedience to fish. Sometimes we may be fishing or sharing the gospel right where God has guided us, and then we come up empty. You know, we, we often judge God's work by results. Mm-hmm. And God has has such multifaceted uh, purposes and works, we don't realize we might just be part of the seed that's being planted, and that's our success in this particular encounter. It doesn't mean that we're uh, unsuccessful. What we have to do is really leave the results up to him. Our job is to drop the nets, to be obedient, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And we might just be that seed along someone else's journey. So will you pray today and ask the Lord, where are the fish that you are to cast your net? Isn't this a great picture? It's almost a parable Mm -hmm. of what it is to evangelize.
0: I wonder, Bev, when they were asked by Jesus to put their nets back in the water, if they were thinking, well, I hope we get enough fish maybe for a nice shore breakfast. Yeah. You know, maybe we'll catch enough to eat something before we go to sleep for the for uh, the, the day. But they had two boats so filled they started to sink. Yeah. I think that's how we often approach God in prayer. We, we come with small ask, a small ask or or a complete lack of any expectation.
1: Oh, it's so true. And
0: then the boats get filled.
1: It's so filled. It's so true. And then we're amazed. I think what it's really telling when I find myself being so amazed that God actually answered. Uh, You know, where's my faith? I I, I should know that God has got that. And he did hear me as I pray. But we can't expect to, um, if we don't uh, obey in this aspect of fishing, of this aspect of evangelizing that, um, that's that's the key here, is mm-hmm. that they obeyed even when it didn't make sense to them.
0: Yeah. We see that all over scripture, don't we? You
1: do, we do. Yeah. We do.
0: If we expect it to make sense, that's not really obedience. No, it's, a not point, it's not yeah, faith.
1: It's not faith. Yeah, it's not faith. Yeah. It's
0: compliance.
1: Oh, that's a good word. But
0: I can look at the cost-benefit analysis, and I guess I'll go ahead and comply with yeah. you. But yeah. this doesn't make sense. So yeah. this takes complete faith. And obedience it does mm-hmm. it
1: certainly does all
0: right we'll take a little break Beverly Canaris is my guest she uh, is not only a, a former Bible study fellowship teacher for over 30 years but she's co-host of a podcast called she is becoming we're gonna take a break when we come back we're gonna continue our study on the amazing catch we find that in Luke chapter 5 Welcome to the show. Beverly Canaris is my guest, and we are talking about the amazing catch out of Luke chapter 5. If you're a fisherman, you love this story because there has never been a bigger catch of fish where two boats were filled and they started to sink. And Jesus told the fishermen to put their nets back in the water as they were cleaning them after a full night of no catches. And now they're up against their biggest and most amazing catch ever. So, Bev, really interesting. He's preparing them to be fishers of men as well.
1: He is. He is. Like I said, this could almost be a, you know, it's like a living parable mm-hmm. uh, that he's using his disciples here, future disciples to to walk through in order to learn these very important truths, not only about who he is and what their work is going to be, but it's going to teach Peter, especially, a lot about who he is. And that's an important piece of, of course, knowing who you are before you can go out and minister to others. So, but did you know that the fish are not really the most important aspect of this account?
0: Wouldn't be surprised. Yep. Yep. Um,
1: It's really who this reveals Christ to be and who Peter realizes himself to be. This account really reveals Christ to be the sovereign Lord over all things. He can command fish to a certain spot. That's pretty amazing. He could command the weather. Remember when, when he had the storm yeah. on the sea? He calmed the waters and he calmed the, the wind. Um, he is God incarnate. In other words, he is God in the flesh. Hebrews 1, three says that Jesus, the Son, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit are one, they're three in one. When we see Christ, we see God, and certainly Jesus is demonstrating those divine supernatural powers in this miracle. Second, very important too too is that Christ shows himself as the provider. Look at the abundance with which he provided. He didn't just throw in a few fish for their breakfast, you know? No. We are to look at him for all of our needs. In Matthew 6, Jesus reminds the people that they're not to be a worry wart about all the things that they need. He promises them that he takes care of nature, and surely he can take care of their needs as well. Scripture says, actually, that he richly provides for us. That's a great little phrase to remember. He richly provides for us. Listen to how Peter responds to this massive catch of fish. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, God, away from me. Lord, I am a sinful man. And he and all his com- uh, companions were astonished at the catch of fish that had been taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Now, before, isn't that an interesting response? Is. And
0: I think when you get a glimpse of who he is, you start to understand who you are.
1: Exactly. And
0: he was um, in the presence of Jesus, and he he discovered who he was.
1: Yeah, and he was a sinner. Yeah. And he felt unworthy to be in his presence. Um, I think that, you know, all of us, we kind of have this idea in our mind that when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask, you know, Jesus these questions, and he's, he'll give me the answers then. I think, I think we're going to be a lot like Peter. We're going to be falling before him. Mm-hmm. And so grateful that our sins have been put away and that we can be forgiven um, through him. So interesting response by Peter. Before we can be a fisher of people, we have to know Christ, who he is, and we have to know our position before him. We're always going to be the most effective when we have a high view of God, understand who he is, and have experienced for ourselves grace and forgiveness of our sin. When we draw near to the Lord, we too will see more clearly our sin and what needs to be confessed or forsaken. I've had the experience of seeing a lot of women um, start to study God's word. And very often what happens is they become extremely convicted in their life of their sin. And, and E- maybe even of their conversion, they might think, I thought I was a Christian. I'm not really a Christian. Mm. I'm not living the life. They see it. They see it in Scripture. They realize they don't know who God is really. And it's it, it's a very much like a Peter experience here for them. I see tears. I can see when that is happening in their life, where they're just starting to realize who they are before God and who God is in that process of studying His Word.
0: But then they're going through that sanctification where they will understand more completely who they are in Christ and their identity will be um, in Christ.
1: Right. Once we're broken yeah. and we see ourselves as sinners, then we have the healing and that comes along through Christ and he comes along and and gives us faith so that we can believe in him and have that sin forgiven. Um, it's it's a beautiful process, though, and a lot of people never allow themselves to feel uh, that sinfulness before the Lord, but that's exactly what you need. I know when I was converted, I I heard the gospel and I came home and I just wept in front of a picture of Jesus. I just wept. I felt and I tried to confess everything I could think of <laughs> of a sin in my life. I mean that, but that's because I had I had met Him and now I knew I, all those things were not right. And so that was a, a powerful experience, much like Peter here in this situation. Peter's sense of unworthiness is really an asset as he follows Christ into his life purpose. God was going to be the one to receive the glory, not Peter. Peter would also have learned that he cannot do the work of evangelism without God directing it and also without the help of others. Isn't that interesting mm-hmm. that that Christ call, you know, had him had such a need he had to call in the others to help bring in the fish? Peter has also learned here, I think, that Christ can give us the evidence we need to grow in our faith. This is a huge leap of faith for Peter now, and we're going to see what happens after this huge leap of faith when he sees who he is and who Christ is and how he responds to that. Well, Jesus is going to speak again and in verse 10. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. In other words, don't be afraid, I forgive sins. Don't be afraid, I am your provider. Don't be afraid, I am sending you. I look at Jesus here really as the patient fisherman in his fishing for those who would fish for people who were going to be his disciples to carry on the ministry when he left earth. Jesus had been calling them and growing their faith over about a year's time. And this was going to be a culmination of that time. Then the verse 11 is the final verse here in this situation. It says, as so, they pulled their boats up to shore, left everything, and followed him. They trusted Jesus to provide for their business, their home, families, as they went into mostly full-time discipleship with Christ. Now, not everyone is called to that, but in order to be a disciple, we too will be called to give up certain things um, in order to share the gospel, whether it's our time, our energies our monies whatever it might be there's always a sacrifice in ministering and serving others with the gospel
0: is it not a bit of a joy though too
1: it absolutely should be the
0: biggest joy ever
1: absolutely that
0: we get to serve the almighty god and we're we're moving away from some things in order to make more space for him
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and I,
0: I know you were going to agree with that.
1: Absolutely. And you know what it is? It's it's such a joyful thing not to live a self-centered life. Mm-hmm. That's depressing, people. That's depressing, and it's a dead end. But when you give and you're, you are ministering with the Lord, it makes all the difference. It makes life so rich and so meaningful. Well, our first allegiance becomes following his commands and his personal will in each of our lives. That is what happened here to Peter. It was a real turning point for him. And I just have to ask your listeners, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your sovereign King over all of creation? Do you know this Lord that can call fish and fill boats? Do you know him as your provider? And then will you follow him and fulfill your purpose as a fisher of persons, not in your own adequacy, but in his. And that was really Peter's lesson in, in all of this miraculous catch. And it's such a beautiful picture for us, too, to be assured that you know, we need to look to him for that provision. We need to look to him in order to have a meaningful ministry and sharing Christ with others.
0: Mm-hmm. When I love verse 10 when Jesus says to Peter, uh, says to Simon, don't be afraid from now on, you'll fish for people. Mm-hmm. I, I see that as a little bit of, of Jesus using a little humor.
1: Absolutely. I mean,
0: he's a fisherman, and yeah. what a fisherman do fishermen well, do? They put nets out, and they you know, get fish in them, and then drag them into a boat. And he's, he's just being, I think he's being a little playful. He's giving he a is. little bit of an illustration of, we will go out and now send this message. Well, we will go... Fish for we, men, yeah. yeah. We'll fish for men. You're
1: fishing. You're still going to be fishing, Peter, but you're, you're going to be fishing for different things. Exactly. And you know, God knows how to speak our language.
0: Yeah, I know. That's what I love. I love about it's that. It's very
1: personal, and this was a very personal message to these fishermen.
0: Hmm. I I love that it was seemingly an impossible command,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then the results. Bev, like you say, there are impossible results, and then he started down this road of of conditioning them, getting them ready to become evangelists that would kind of put their lives at risk
1: yeah and they were the impossible choice right unlikely
0: yeah because they were ordinary Mm -hmm. guys that were put in charge of the message of the gospel
1: exactly yeah they were entrusted 12 of these people just 12 yeah with that gospel to take it out yeah so there was a lot of careful preparation on the part of Jesus with Mm -hmm. these men
0: yeah so great teaching I love Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. If you missed any of this, it's such a powerful story of that amazing catch where Jesus told these fishermen to put their nets back in the water after a night of no fishing. And then they pulled in enough fish to practically sink two boats. So uh, Beverly Canaris has been my guest. We're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back with lots more. So i always glad to be talking to my friend, Dr. Greg Heddington. We're going to jump back into studying the book of 1 John. I believe we're in chapter 5.
2: Greg, how are you today? I'm good. I'm ready to go. Let's do it. Welcome to our eighth lesson in our study of several New Testament epistles. As today, we will emphasize two particular verses from 1 John chapter 5. Our central idea is faith in Jesus makes us overcomers. Now, one of John's main themes has been how best to love God and others. Now, today, I want to look at another theme John has emphasized in his letter and his gospel, and that is a subject of prayer. In 1964, a track enthusiast from Oregon named Phil Knight co-founded a brand of shoes that has become the world's largest company of athletic apparel. And the name of that brand is? Nike. Nike. Nike, mm-hmm. the company, takes its name Nike from the Greek goddess of victory. Now, everyone naturally likes to have victory in their lives. So what does victory mean for a Christ follower? Scripture more typically uses the expression to overcome. So as our central idea today for this lesson describes it, faith in Jesus makes us overcomers. What does that mean? When we grow in our faith in Jesus, and hopefully we're always growing in our faith, we learn to live as the Lord would have us live so that we might, number one, not be defeated by the world's hostility toward believers. Number two, we can overcome any habitual sin. And number three, we can become confident that a believer has eternal life. And remember, the only real life that Jesus promises his followers eventually begins when life on this earth ends and number four we are assured that god hears our prayers so to that end we look at prayer today and focus on first john five verses 14 and 15 and here's what they say this is the confidence that we have toward jesus that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us and if we know he hears us in whatever we ask We know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Now, I want to be clear that the only one way to pray, the only person to pray to, ultimately, is the God of scriptures. Because over the centuries, people have had various views of what God seems to be like, and they pray to that God. So we're praying to the God of the Scriptures. Roman 2, what does it mean to pray according to Jesus' name? The scripture in verse 14 speaks of praying according to Jesus' will, and other scriptures say according to his name. Now, they are really synonymously, they're the same in their meaning, because if we pray according to someone's will, we are invoking the name of that person. God's will is clearly laid out in scripture. Simply put, to pray in Jesus' name means to pray in a way that is consistent with scripture In other words, his character and his will. So to pray in the name of Jesus and pray by his will, it's really the same thing. By the way, just because we add the words in the name of Jesus does not somehow make the prayer magical so that God is required to answer the prayer the way we like. It's not just the name, but our intention that we will abide by his will. So I personally pray in Jesus' name, but it's not obligatory to have that prayer answered. In Jesus' name, when I pray that way, because I I believe that, because number one, that I am praying, and I hope I am according to his will. And number two, I'm praying to God the Father, whom I know only because of his Son, and taught us how to pray and to know the Father. The point is that effective prayer must ask for and desire what Jesus delights in. So,
0: Greg, what does Jesus delight in?
2: Thank you for that question. I know it's out there somewhere. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Amazingly, Jesus is delighted when we draw close to him. How do we draw closer to him? Number one, by speaking to him throughout the day to hear his voice, and number two, We draw closer to him by doing what he wills us to do. In other words, if you say something, it doesn't mean you're going to do it, but it's about praying and then doing what he wills. Now, there is no secret will of God like the Gnostics thought in the first century. John talked about that. It was the first heresy where Gnostics comes from the word gnosis, which means to know. It was about a secret knowledge they had that only a certain group could get in. That is not what our scripture is about. Our scripture is incredibly inclusive. John is saying we ask according to what scripture teaches us about what pleases God. And what does scripture say about how we are to discover his will, that is, his commands for all people. Scripture says we must believe in him. We've talked about this many times. In Greek, the word pisteia means to trust, to commit to, to put our weight down on him. It doesn't just mean agreeing to certain facts.
0: So why are we to believe in him?
2: Why are we to believe in him? Because God has already proven his love for us when Jesus was crucified for us. Through Christ, He, he uh, this happened. It, it, it was part of the cosmic plan, God's cosmic plan that Jesus would die for us. Since he has proven his love for us, we follow his commands out of love For how we are to live our best life. And that's how he wants us to live, our best life. How is that? Well, the two big commands, the first command is to love who? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and might. It comes from the Old Testament originally, Deuteronomy 6, and then Jesus reemphasizes it again in Matthew 22. In other words, love him with our whole selves. Since, number one, we are still alive today, Number two, it is his will. And number three, we want his desire to be our desire for life. Now, this has all been pretty basic information on prayer, which you might already know. But before we get to the second great command to love others, I want to give a few words from D.A. Carson, who talks about our natural tendencies of how we often live life. People do not naturally drift toward holiness. mm People do not drift toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, or delight in the Lord. Instead, we naturally drift toward compromise, and we call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the lack of self-control and call it relaxation. We move toward ignoring prayer and delude ourselves in the thinking we have escaped legalism as we slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. Because we naturally drift toward what Jesus calls the wide road, we must be intentional about following the Lord, reading scripture, praying, worship, because our sinful nature simply does not naturally lead us to live as the Lord would have us. What do you think, Bill?
0: That's fantastic. Dr. Greg Heddington is my guest. I love that. Let's, uh, okay. let's go ahead then.
2: Okay, now what is the second great command after loving God? Love your neighbors yourself. That's Leviticus 19, and again, Jesus emphasized it in Matthew 22. That's not so easy, and that's not why His Holy Spirit is within us to help. But sometimes we may have to be so hurt and wounded by another person that we have finally say lord how can i possibly love that person whom i consider to be my enemy well i have two suggestions that i have learned and i try to follow from the 12 step program first take it easy mm-hmm. you don't have to love everyone all at once because it's a process but don't give up that process works when you work it and it won't if you don't second at least start at the point where you can say to yourself okay That person at least deserves the right to breathe. In other words, they deserve the right to live. That way, either that person can progress before the end of their life, or we can progress in the forgiveness. After all, according to Scripture, we are not required to live sinless lives because no one can. Jesus was the exception. But Scripture does tell us we are to become more loving and mature and whole followers of Christ so we can be all that we were always intended to be by the Lord. Christ's followers throughout history have followed the example of Jesus to put a a pause on the tyranny of what is urgent. That's our daily life. What is next? What is urgent? But we need to spend more time quietly talking with the Lord. And several hundred years ago in the 17th century, Madame Jean Guyon, G-U-Y-O-N, a French mystic wrote one of the most significant books on prayer, and it startled people when they when she wrote this quote: "Forget about yourself and all your household and occupational interest. Simply listen and be attentive to God. These passive actions will permit God to communicate His love to you. You should repeat the process of becoming internally quiet as often as distractions occur." There's really not much to ask of ourselves to take an hour or even a half hour before our day is quiet. Our spirit's in order for the spirit of prayer to remain with us the entire day. Well, that's the end of quotation, that sounds an awful lot like the way Jesus lived. Roman numeral three. Why does scripture suggest we spend much time in prayer?
0: Greg, what does scripture say about a model of prayer?
2: Our model for prayer is none other than Jesus, who is constantly in motion in his three and a half years of ministry, yet he always had time to reach out to those in need or teach for hours to large and small groups. He was only able to do this in his humanness because of the time he spent alone with the Father, usually early in the morning, receiving instructions for the day. In Luke 11, verse 9, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, in the original Greek, the verb tenses are a lot more emphatic. Those words are best translated as ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. So the big question is, Romans 4, if God always knows what we need before we ask, then why even pray?
0: Okay, why do we seek and knock?
2: Well, excellent question. After many years of studying scripture and developing a growing friendship with the Lord, here's my conclusion. We pray because the Lord desires a relationship with us. And good relationships involve lots of communication, whether with friends or with God. And now that I'm a married man, I've learned that communication between my wife and me is extraordinarily important. It's remarkable. The God who created the world, the stars, the planets, the universe, you and me, wants a love relationship with each of us. And he delights in our communication with him through prayer. So just as we don't miss, so we don't miss the point. Jesus uses an example about how a caring father loves his family. In Luke eleven eleven, he says, "Which of you fathers, if your son asks for fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion?" Well, the point here is obvious. No loving father would do that. And then Jesus continues and said, "If you then who are evil, in other words, you're not perfect, you're sinful." If you who are sinful know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And Jesus uses the love relationship between a father and a son to further highlight how much our Father in Heaven wants to give the Holy Spirit, which is, in fact, God's actual presence. And the Holy Spirit guides us how to pray so that it's in in accord with God's will. And that's the greatest gift God could ever give us way more important than any material blessing could possibly mean because it's a closer more secure and more loving eternal relationship with him it's a mind blower it is so we are active and uh, as our fifth century church father augustine says pray as though everything depends on god work as though everything depends on you. Mm, I love that. So Bill, are we time for, ready for a break? I think
0: it is, yeah. Dr. Greg Heddington is my guest. We're continuing our study in First John. If you have your Bibles available and open, First John chapter 5 is what we're looking at. We'll take a very short break and be right back. I love studying the book of 1 John, and I'm back at it with my friend and Bible teacher, Dr. Greg Heddington, and we are in 1 John 5, and again, Greg, this is a great study.
2: Oh, I love it myself, Bill, and we're looking at two verses, just two verses in 1 John 5 today on prayer, which is something we all know is critical in our lives, and it's how the Lord wants us to live. Mm-hmm. The key to praying according to the Lord is to pray in his will, which means knowing what is in accord with his plans for our life and the lives of others. So how do we get to the place of knowing his will? Well, it it takes time and scripture. We just have to put the time in. So our central idea today is faith in Jesus makes us overcomers, and our faith grows as we pray and trust and then do what he commands us to do. That's the central thinking. All right. When we think of prayer, it's better understood when we consider it in two different ways, just like in communication. Roman five, prayer is first, talking to God, and second, listening to God. So let's, let's go to 5A, talking to God. There are various ways to have a conversation with God, and one of the more practical and helpful patterns is to use the acrostic ACTS, which stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and... And supplication. I think the order is important. First, adoration or praise. Psalm 145, verses 3 and 4 says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. End of quotation. When we praise God, we're acknowledging who He is. Praise is not as if God somehow needs our praise, but rather it lifts us up above. Our routine lives and circumstances as we recognize who he is as creator. Scripture tells us the Lord dwells in the praises of the saints. According to scripture, we are those saints. Secondly, confession. This is part of how we pray. First John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, keeping a clear conscience with our Lord is the path to a growing relationship with him. And this letter is written to followers of Jesus, so they might practice this discipline, and it is, a, it is a discipline. Third, as far as prayer, thanksgiving. Psalm 100, verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. As we give thanks to the Lord for all he has done for us, we develop a disposition of gratitude. A grateful and thankful heart are not only a blessing to the Lord, but blesses everyone around us and significantly ourselves. I mean, positive people are a joy to be around. The easiest thing in the world to do is to complain about something. Even in our first world country like USA, I know I complain about things often out of just laziness. But gratitude and thanking people and thanking the Lord are not as common. Although I tell you, what, saying thank you even on an email or a text, much less a letter, is becoming more and more unusual. First Thessalonians 5.16, though, is pretty clear about the Lord's will when it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I love that verse. I mean, it says it right there. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So we don't want to miss that.
0: Dr. Greg Heddington is my guest.
2: Okay, the fourth and last part of the ACTS uh, acrostic for prayer is supplication. In other words, asking the Lord for something. James 4.2 says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask With wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, there's nothing wrong with pleasures as long as they aren't illegal, immoral, or fattening. (laughs) Uh That's at least the way we'd say it in America. Okay, But if in Cuba, actually, that would be a wonderful compliment. Say, hey, you look a little fatter than the last time I saw you. That's because they don't eat a lot of food. Mm -hmm. But if we are living life just for our own pleasures, then we miss the point of serving, sacrificing, and giving to others, which is what Jesus calls us to do. And he is, of course, our model. Throughout Scripture, we are repeatedly invited to, as 1 John 5.14 says, the key is if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And as I said, it's the same thing as asking In the name of Jesus. In fact, Jesus spells out this remarkable opportunity to his disciples and us as he tells them three different times at the Last Supper that we are to ask for anything according to his will. That's John chapter 14. So, those four aspects we have just looked at of talking to God in prayer are the first part of the incredible communion that Jesus invites us to share with him. On a regular basis. And when I'm talking about communion, I'm not talking about the Eucharist. I'm just talking about talking with God.
0: So, Greg, how does he answer us?
2: God answers prayer in one of four ways, because God always answers prayer, even though we're not always aware. Number one, God says no. Now, that's the most difficult one to receive, so we keep praying a lot of times. But after a while, we need to understand the answer is simply no. Number two, God answers slow. In other words, the timing isn't right for that prayer to be answered right now. After all, we pray in our time, and God answers in his time. We pray in chronos time, which is chronological, but God answers in kairos time, which is basically any time he wants to, we call it God's time. Mm -hmm. Number three, God says grow. In retrospect, we might look back and see that God did, in fact, answer our prayer, but he answered it in a way that was different than what we expected. Number four, God says, go. This is the easiest one because it's when we receive exactly what we prayed for. In fact, the way that we prayed for it. As James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then Jeremiah 33, 3 says, call to me and I will answer you. Now, the second part of communing with God is not just by talking to him, but by Roman numeral 5b, listening to God. I'll be more brief in my comments on this. Psalm 46, 1-2 says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Sounds like an apt description of our current day upheavals. Mm -hmm. Then, Then the psalmist concludes with this comforting assurance, Be still and know that I am God. Now, we just talked about how critical it was in the life of Jesus early in the morning to spend time alone with the Father to listen and receive instructions for that day, as the apostles probably slept. Yet seldom do we take time away from our busy and noisy lives to spend time in silence listening to the voice of our Father. Ted Thwing, that's T-H-W-I-N-G, wrote a book called So You Want to Grow Spiritually. And he says this, we grow spiritually when we listen to God and what he's trying to say to us, but often we're not good at listening. Sometimes we think the problem in communication with God is to get his attention when we have something to say to him or ask him. It turns out the real challenge is not how we can get God's attention, it's how he can get our attention. End of quotation. Thinking about listening to God, I don't know about you, but some of the important moments of my life have been when God whispered something to me. I cannot even count the number of times I've had the impression that I needed to call someone because they were on my mind. Has that ever happened to you? All the time. I mean, often, I mean, not yeah. always, but often I have acted on those promptings and yeah. call that person. And they either say, you've been on my mind recently, or I was just about to call you. <laughs> or, I can't yeah. believe you called I me. I know. That, let me tell you what just happened. So, friends, those promptings are often from the Lord, because as Jesus, who's the great shepherd of our faith, says, my sheep hear my voice, and we have seen that faith in Jesus makes us overcomers, especially through prayer. Okay, I close with this. If there were ever a reason for sadness in heaven, and I don't think that's going to be the case, but if there ever were a reason for sadness, it would be if we look back on our life somehow all the time that the Lord desired to be with us more in constant communication while we were living on earth. When Genesis 127 states that we were created in God's image and likeness, It means that unlike the rest of creation, we are designed to delight in a living and loving relationship now with Jesus in the moment in which we're living. Now, the enemy would love for us to think of our communication with God through prayer as a a grim duty, as unpleasant. But our Lord views it as the loving lifeline he has with each one of us to guide us through dangerous valleys that we have already inevitably or will experience. After all, faith in Jesus makes us overcomers as we pray according to his will and we discover his will as we get to know him better. Finally, perhaps the most beautiful words of a hymn, which were written in 1855, say it best. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer.
0: Oh, that's great. I love that. Um, one of the, Greg, one of the things that I love about the ACTS acrostic is the adoration. And I was uh, I learned that a, um, when you start with adoration, maybe even you pray a psalm, you're letting God start the conversation. Mm-hmm. And the old saying is that wh- whoever starts the conversation usually controls it. Yes. Yeah, so thank you for that study and that time. It's always a great uh, having you on the show. I look forward to next time.
2: Okay, thanks, Bill. You bet.
0: Thanks. Dr. Greg Heddington has been my guest, and that is a study on 1 John, Chapter 5. We're going to take a little break and be right back.